0: Good morning. Good morning. Exciting to see you here this morning. It's always exciting to come together as the body of Christ for sharing of the Word of God. So let me again say, and I don't say this just out of rote, I really mean it. Thank you for being here. I know that there are several here that uh, have not been coming regularly over a period of time and the Lord has just begun to change your hearts and you're here and you've been coming and, and we're thankful for that, so thankful for that. Thank you for those of you who have been attending the Word of God in the School of the Word or whatever for years and years. Uh, this is hopefully, whether I'm teaching or Bill Treby's teaching or Evan Mayer's teaching or whoever's teaching, this is a meal hopefully that God that God is preparing and hopefully that we are partaking of that enriches us and builds us up, amen? That's what we're expecting God to do in this class. This morning we'll be speaking out of two portions of the scripture basically so you might be at least turning to Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and chapters 8 and 9. Now we'll start with a different chapter but those two chapters will be going back and forth comparing some scriptures. We'll start with chapter probably 6 this morning but then we'll go through quickly some of that material concerning noah and the ark and the flood and we're not going to cover the details of the flood and the ark at this point i'm going to come back and begin to share the typology of the old testament and the fulfillment in the new in christ and how the people and types or circumstances or things that are going on in the old are typifying and anticipating and pointing to their fulfillment in Christ. And that's the way we need to see the Old Testament, as a type, anticipating Him who is to come who will be the fulfillment. And when we do it this way, which is the Biblical way, we will begin to see the Bible as a cohesive, book, not just, as I said last week, a series of books and a bunch of different writings from different people. But this whole book holds together with one theme. God, after Genesis 3, 6, is persistently and passionately pursuing His purpose, which He will fulfill. But as He gets closer and closer to the fulfillment, He continues to give us hints and revelation and types and shadows and glimpses of how that fulfillment will occur and in whom that fulfillment will occur and the result of that fulfillment until we get to Revelation 21 and 22 which are the two chapters that describe the culmination of everything that we've been reading so again I I I say it this way because I want I think the I know the Holy Spirit wants our understanding appreciation Uh, of the word to be very much wider, all-inclusive, very much more as a work of God, not just 66 individual books, but one book with 66 chapters, each one building on the other and continual until we get to the last chapter, which is the culmination. That's how we should see our Bible. Father, thank you so much Father, we love your word, how great it is, and thank you for this word. What a God. What a word. Father, that we in this church, and, and the church throughout the world, but Father, we pray obviously specifically for this church where you put us not rejecting the others, but at least emphasizing this one. Father, would you by your spirit cause The hunger and the thirsting for your word to increase among every one of us father that we would be spending more and more time with you receiving understanding fellowshipping father that we are being built up built up into a heavenly house upon the earth so father when the enemy comes a knocking we can, with the word, through faith, by the power of the Spirit, blow him away. Father, we want to be your mature. We want to be your mature people, for your glory. Father, continue that work in Jesus name. Amen. Well, remember, in last week, remember we talked about the two seeds. Remember in Genesis 3:15, the seed of the woman? The seed of the serpent and we began to trace out the two seeds because there are two humanities or two types of humanity upon the earth there are only two types of humanity upon the earth the seed of the woman god's seed through whom he works his redemptive purpose and in the old testament through that seed will come the work of the, the uh, birth of the Messiah as God through all these years and all these people and all these circumstances and all these types moves forward His purpose into the coming of one man, the seed of the woman. And then the seed of the serpent. The seed of those who are not of the purposes of God and who are actively, persistently opposing the things of God. Even though they may not understand it in their own minds. They don't know it. They're not saying, ah, Christians are devils and y'all, uh. we're talking about those who are rejecting Christ as Savior and who in any means whatsoever are opposing the work of God, two different types of people. So we saw last week that God utilizes two principal means to achieve His goal of recovery. There are two major means that God is using that we referenced last week. First, the seed of the woman, the lion of Seth, and the seed of the serpent, remember the lion of Cain. These two were to multiply together alongside of one another. And we also uh, saw that these two lines will continue to experience strife and conflict. Remember in 315 of Genesis, I will put enmity between these two. So we are to expect strife and conflict and opposition, not because hopefully the way we're living and the way we are testifying, but because of the testimony of righteousness in us, there will be a back-pushing and opposition to that testimony. And so as we live our life in Christ, hopefully, honorably, in love, caring for the testimony of God, sharing the testimony of God appropriately, however the Lord calls us to do it, as we do that, do not be expected, I mean, do not be, uh, what, what we're doing. Surprise. Thank you. There it is. Do not be surprised by opposition. How many of us have ever, even in a very quiet and gentle way, shared something of the gospel with someone, and all of a sudden something happened? I remember I'm at the, uh, the bedside of a lady who is dying several years ago. I'm at her bedside praying for her. Remember this? And I think you had the relationship here. I mean, Frank knows most people, so I always point to Frank just in case. And the daughter's sitting over there in the chair, the mom is in the bed. And I said, "May I pray for you?" And we started praying. Boy, the daughter jumped up, stopped it. My mother's a good woman. She, you know, my mother's a good woman. We we're beginning to share the gospel. Remember that? How she need need to be saved? You remember some of that? At any anyway, rate. In the United States (laughs) what I'm getting at is just sharing some of the elements of the gospel the daughter jumped up and said no don't my mother's a good woman she doesn't need that opposition of the enemy and so God is going to use these two groups Seth's line and Cain's line to move his purpose forward until his restoration is completed in Christ So let's talk about the type of a recreation remember the creation is in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 the fall occurs in chapter 3 what God is doing is from chapter 3 verse 6 or 7 on God is moving to recreate he is moving to bring back his original purpose everything must be seen in a recreative creative activity of God so by the time we get to chapter six of Genesis the extent and the effect of sin has become pandemic chapter six just the handheld. What about the handheld? Is that it? Hey Dave, David LaHare, ladies and gentlemen, the one who is being used to move God's purpose forward this morning. Thank you, David. What? Oh, another helper, the rock man. All right, I didn't see him back there. All right, shall we begin again? How many, how many will give, uh, give me five minutes more? Anybody give me five minutes more if you raise your hand? Five, 10, 15, twenty, twenty. Two hours and thirty minutes more. Okay, thank you. In chapter six, by the time we get to chapter six, look at what's happening in mankind. Remember, after the fall, we begin to see two kinds of humanities. In chapter six, verse six, here's what's happening. And the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and He was grieved in His heart. Why? Well, look at what the verse says. And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every intention and the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So by the time we get to chapter 6, by the time we get to Noah, the extent and the permeation and the effect of sin is absolutely to a place that God has grieved that He has created. So what is it going to do? Well, rather than these two lines, remember, being separate, they started to intermarry. That's what I think verses 1 and 2 are all about. Listen to this. When man began to multiply on the face of the earth in chapter 6, the face of the land, and the daughters were born to them, the sons of God, I believe this is the line of Seth. I don't believe these are angels. Angels do not procreate. Remember that. People teach these are angels. They don't do it. The sons of God, the people of God sess line saw that the daughters of man the line of cain we've been talking about these two different groups of people were attractive and they took their wives uh, they took as their wives as any they chose so you see the result is that the lord now in verse 5 is deciding i'm going to cleanse the earth i'm going to purify the earth through a flood the flood is not so much a punishment as it is a cleansing the cleansing by the water when you look in the word of God water is such a type of the purifying cleansing work of God such a symbol remember of the Holy Spirit we see that in John 13 10 Jesus washes the feet of the disciple you see it in uh, Titus 3 5 the washing by regeneration through the Holy Spirit and so God through this flood is deciding I'm going to cleanse I'm going to purify, purify the world of this sinful activity And so he's going to raise up a man through whom to do this he's going to move to recreate to bring about a new thing upon the earth not new that has never happened before but a recreation of that which has occurred through another group of people so by sending the flood to cleanse the earth God was using Noah as a second Adam we look at Noah and we see many similarities in Noah between noah and adam and noah we can begin to consider even though the bible doesn't call him a second adam he is a second adam a type of him who will come to cleanse the earth of all the impurities and so we're going to look at this he's a second adam through whom god will reiterate or re or continue his purpose so in the flood what happens is god is recreating For the protection and promotion of his original intention this is not as much a punishment as a cleansing for recreation and Noah becomes a type of Christ and we'll see that when we go back and look at Jesus and look at the elements in Noah and look at the elements in the ark and look at the construction of the ark and look at all of these elements that point to a particular person so Noah is a type of Christ through whom through whom He will bring all things in accordance to God's purpose. Christ will be the the purpose. I'm not doing well today, am I? Christ will be God's instrument in recreating. Christ will be this instrument. So what I'd like to do is look at these verses and this purpose of Noah as the second Adam becomes very clear as we look at several striking similarities between the first creation in Genesis 1 and 2 and the recreation in Genesis 8 and 9. So when we look at the Old Testament, when we look at Genesis, God began a work. The work failed because of man's inability to do what God had commanded him to do. God knew this. God was prepared so God now moves to recreate and in the rest of the Old Testament as I said he is showing us that there is only one person who can be my Adam there is only one person who can keep my mandates there is only one man who can be my image there is only one man who can restore all things to my intention in fullness And as we move through Genesis and the rest of the Old Testament we will see elements or types and anticipations of who that one man is, what he is like, and what he will do. I've said this many times and I'm going to continue to say it because it needs to sink in. And Noah begins to be the first of that line of types, that line of men who in himself God uses to move his purpose forward, but in himself he is an anticipation of what the man the image of God will be so let's look at some of the similarities between the first Adam and this if you would quote second Adam Noah in chapter 1 verses 9 and 10 here's what the word says then God said let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Okay, we remember that in the first creation. Then we turn to chapter 8, verses 1 to 13. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused the wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. By the way, when you remember the breath of God in chapter 1. The breath of God, the spirit of God in chapter 1, verse 3. Also the fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sea were closed and the rain and the sky was restrained and the water receded steadily from the earth and at the end of the 150 days the water decreased. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark rested upon the mountains of Ararat. And the water decreased steadily until the 10th month. In the 10th month and on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains became visible. And so the rest of that, those verses into verse 13 says this, that God covered the earth with water so that man could not live on the earth until the water was separated from the land. And so in Genesis 1 and 2, we see water being separated from land we see the same thing in genesis chapter 8 it is a picture of recreation the next one chapter 1 verses 20 and 21 then god said let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens and god created the great sea monsters and everything living uh, every living creature that moves with 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 which the water swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Okay, there you have the original creation of the birds and the, you know, the, the animals. In chapter 8, verses 17 and 19, here's what we hear. <coughs> Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and they will breed abundantly upon the earth and be fruitful and multiply, so no one out and his sons and his wife sons with him so you see again the same kind of activity this recreative activity as god is using noah as a type of the man who will will come as a second adam in verses 14 and 18 through 18 of chapter 1 here's what we read then god said let there be lights in the expanse in the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs of the seasons and for days and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and so it was so and remember God called the light day and the evening so what do we find in Genesis eight twenty two? again the similarity while the earth remains sea time and harvest cold and with summer and winter day and night shall not cease so again you see God bringing forth day and night a separation in verses and I won't read all of these in verses and you can look at this yourself hopefully in verse 22 of chapter 1 compared to 8:17, God blesses the animals so they will be fruitful and multiply he does the same thing in chapters 8 and 9 as he's doing in chapters 1 and 2. in chapter 1 Verse 28 and 9, verse 1 and verse 7, God brought forth man and received to receive God's blessings to be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply, Noah, be fruitful and multiply. So we begin to see what God is doing here. Noah is a type of the first Adam. He is the one through whom God will now continue his creative or recreative purpose. In 128 and 9.2, man is given dominion over the animal kingdom. In both of these. In 129 and 30 and 9.3, God provides man with food. You have food here. In 126, 27 and 9.6, God restates His purpose for man to be His image. Listen to what verse 6 of chapter 9 says, now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after this. Well, Did I read the right verse? Oh, I read the wrong verse. Sorry. And whoever sheds, oh, here it is, and whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. So there is a repetition of God saying, I have made man in my image. There is this emphasis again of the image of God. So all of these in, uh, similarities between these two chapters indicate that what God is doing in chapter 8 is recording a recreation, is beginning, if you would, anew. However, while the flood, you know, ma- makes a new beginning, the problem is human nature hasn't changed. The flood starts a new creation, but, or recreation, but human nature has not been recreated it's still the same and so these passages clearly show that God is setting forth Noah as a second Adam listen to these comparisons like Adam Noah was commanded to be fruitful and multiply like Adam Noah is given dominion over all the earth like Adam Noah is to bear the image of God Adam experienced personal communion with God. You remember in chapter 3, verse 8, the Lord walked in the garden. Adam experienced personal communion with God. A righteousness in Adam allowed for him to have a fellowship with God. And Noah also walked with God. He walked with God. So you see the communing uh, aspect here. Adam's sin was exposed in his nakedness and Noah's sin was exposed through his nakedness. Adam's sin was covered by God. You remember that. God slew an animal in verse 21 of chapter 3 and covered the, uh, the sin of the, uh, Adam and Eve by covering their nakedness. And Noah's sin was covered by his two sons. His nakedness was covered by his two sons. Remember, Shem and Japheth, as they walked backward and covered their father's nakedness. Adam was created to be righteous, and Noah was declared to be righteous. Adam ate of the fruit of the tree and Noah drank of the fruit of the vine so what we're doing here is again showing that Adam Noah is not just a story of a flood and a new beginning it is God's statement that he is committed to bring about his purpose through man And that in this purpose and in this recreation, God is showing us that even using a faulty, fallen, sinning man, that there are elements in this man that God wants us to see that will be shown to be in one man, and this one man will be the one who will create the heavens and the earth, new heavens and the new earth let's talk about uh, an important aspect here of the covenant which I think that hopefully will help to clarify some things for us in chapter 6 verse 18 look at chapter 6 verse 18 the word says here but I will establish my covenant with you God is talking to Noah and you shall enter the ark you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And again, we'll get back to the ark and to the flood later. In chapter 6, verse 18, God establishes covenant with Noah as a means of applying and administering and moving his creative purpose forward. Now, this is the first time we've heard the word covenant. But you may remember from some of the early lessons we saw that God related to adam covenantially we won't go through all those again but we showed that there was a covenant of creation and adam and god related to one another on the basis of that relational covenant that god created but there was a difference in the the uh the way the covenant was to be worked out as far as man and god were concerned you see, this covenant in 618, this covenant with Noah is called the Noadic Covenant. Remember we said there's the Creation Covenant, and then there's the Noadic Covenant, the covenant with Noah, then the Abrahamic Covenant, the covenant with Abraham, and then the Mosaic Covenant, the covenant with Moses at Sinai, and then the Davidic Covenant. These are the great covenants. There are lesser covenants in the Old Testament, but these are the great covenants of the Old Testament, each one enlarging upon, giving more information and moving forward God's work of recreation as He administers and as He protects and provides for His people to be the avenue or the means of recreation by bringing forth the one man, the Lord Jesus. So this covenant is not a new covenant. So the Noadic covenant isn't something brand new. It needs to be seen as a continuance of the existing covenant of creation. A covenant in which Adam was to function as prophet, priest, and king. You remember the three mandates. And Adam has said, God says, I want you to be my image bearer. I create you to be my image bearer upon the earth. How am I going to do that? You're going to do that through these three means. Prophet, priest, and king. So you remember the two mandates in chapter 1, verse 28. You remember what they were? What were they? Be fruitful and what? Multiply and then have dominion. And then in 2.15 what does he do? He gives another mandate to Adam and he says after creating the garden he says I want you to work and keep the garden. Remember that that terminology is the same terminology that God gave to the Levites in Numbers 3 I think it's verses 6 and 8 if I can remember all those verses where God says to the Levites I want you to work and to keep or guard the things of God, the temple of God this is the priestly duty and so adam is to function as god's image through these three mandates and so god's covenant with noah was the first of several covenants remember with noah abraham moses and with david those are the main covenants in the old testament in which god expanded and explained the meaning and the purpose of his way of redeeming his people You see, all of these covenants, each one of these covenants as they move forward anticipates and culminates in the new covenant. So it is crucial that we see each one of these four covenants not in opposition to one another. That is a very wrong way of seeing God's covenant. They are not in opposition. What they are doing is God is building and expanding upon and working in a way through these covenants to show that all of these covenants God will gather up all four of these covenants or five the creation covenant and set them and bring them about in fruition in the new covenant remember the new covenant Jeremiah 31 or Ezekiel 36 remember we remember the new covenant talked about in those two particular uh, references especially in Jeremiah 31 I will bring about a new covenant I'm doing a new thing upon the earth new like it's not done before but new in its culmination new in its absolute effect by the Holy Spirit's work and power you see these covenants anticipate and culminate in the new covenant in which God is going to cut when it says God made a covenant with Abraham it is the word to cut to cut covenant and you remember the slicing of the animals and God going through the animals in chapter 15 there is a cutting here remember what happens at the cross God cuts covenant with his son there's the cutting the shedding of the blood and God is creating and entering if you would or substantiating the new covenant in his son as Jesus has taken upon himself our humanity and God enters covenant with man through a man having that God the Father and God the Son enter, if you would, into covenant for our purpose, for the purpose of redeeming us. You see, but we need to distinguish between the covenant of works with Adam and the subsequent covenants of grace. There's a difference between these two. They all had the same goal. These covenants have the very same goal. But the covenant of creation, the covenant of works with Adam, was to be maintained by Adam's merit, through Adam's obedience You remember we talked about that? We said that God gave Adam the responsibility to be prophet, priest and king, and his ability to carry out these mandates was based upon Adam's obedience. Adam had to obey. and as he obeyed, he would then merit the right to enter god's rest as this probation period would be done correctly by him through his obedience the anticipation was that mankind would then finally come to a place that he would then be living in the rest or the final work or the presence of god forever but there has to be this meriting this obedience period it's very 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 important that we understand that adam's relationship with God as to God's purpose and as to acquire as to be able to earn his way merit his way through obedience now how many of us don't like that how many of it no how many of us that really doesn't sound right you see that well I thought it was all by grace it is but not quite the way we think it you see, Adam's sin made it no longer possible for him or any of man to be able to maintain fellowship with God on merit obedience. His sin made this impossible. He was supposed to do this, but he sinned. And in his sin, we all sin. Romans five twelve. We all sin. So now that requirement for merit. And obedience no longer can be placed on us if we are going to enter God's rest. Why? Because Adam failed. He sinned. So, what happens? If God is going to achieve his purpose to have a people with whom and in whom he dwells forever in the new heavens and a new earth, this place and time if you would of the rest of God the great seventh Sabbath of God if that is going to happen it cannot any longer be required that man be meriting or obeying God in order to get in if you would or to accomplish this the merit system for man died with Adam's sin His ability to obey and even his requirement to obey in order to merit died in Genesis 3, 6. Adam had that requirement. But because of sin in 3.6, that requirement ceased. Why? Because it was no longer possible. And if God is going to have His way with us to be our God and us to be His people, He can no longer give us or place upon us that requirement. Therefore, God takes upon Himself the obligation of obedience or merit so that He can restore man by His grace very important that we see the distinction here because if we don't what we're going to see is that the Abrahamic covenant is one thing and the covenant of Moses is something else in opposition and it isn't they work hand in hand and too many people out there are preaching and teaching that the Abrahamic covenant is a covenant of grace and the, Noatic, I mean the uh, Mosaic covenant is the covenant of law and the two are in opposition to one another and there has to be somebody who comes and undoes that one in order to get That, that is incorrect. These covenants are hand in hand linked together revelation of God's work and His purposes in man, what He will do to achieve our salvation. So let's be very careful how we look at the Old Testament otherwise we stumble all over the place and we misunderstand but what is all that thou shalt nots about? What is all that about? You see man no longer is required to or even able to work or to merit fellowship with God. Now it has to be upon not work but what? Now it has to be not upon work Is there a handheld I can use, one, two? God.